Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge positions or statements, and so make sure you keep your statements open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, you can send questions and comments to our live Facebook stream, Hello Facebook Land, as well as our live YouTube stream. So hello out there. If you want to catch us later, that's fine too. We usually have the chat replays ready for you to observe the fun in the future. So you know me, my name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And next up for introductions, we have Jason Richards. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you, John? I am 87% today. Okay. Holding steady. Good deal. How about you? Uh, I am in a food coma. Ah, nice. As are everyone else on this show outside of you. <laughs> um, but I will say I'm a past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia. And you're also Jason Richards. Awesome. All you right. introduced me. You're like, yeah. next up, Jason Richards. Yeah, you know, just in case. I was so. trying to save you some airtime after you bumbled the introduction. I did. I did. We got to get that canned. So anyway, moving away from <laughs> Jason Richards, we have uh, Robert Johnson. No, we don't have Robert Johnson, but we might have another Robert ready for you. So the next up, Joe Martinez. How are you, Joe? Uh, and someone else. But first, who are you, Joe? I am, well, you just said my name, but I'm Joe Martin. I'm waiting for Joe, Joe Martinez. Hi, Joe Martinez, also in the food coma. And I am, what am I this week? I'm the master of Manassas Lodge, number 182, Manassas, Virginia, member of 94 other things. And I found this dude on the street. And this and dude is say hello as well. brother Robert William Marshall, the slightly more attractive host on the Historical Light Masonic <laughs> Podcast. So hello and good evening. Good evening. Glad to be here with you guys. I am uh, going to follow the format you all shared. So I'm a past master of Waco Masonic Lodge number 92, the Waco Masonic Lodge. I'm a proud member of the Austin Scottish Rite Valley, a proud member of Mercury Lodge in Dallas, where I was the charter marshal who chartered the who marshaled the charter uh, to the first meeting and uh, also a member of the Kansas Lodge of Research. Quite a few things. Awesome. Well, it's great having He's you busy. here tonight. Yeah. Glad to as, be here. Glad to have you. Uh, as always, we want to uh, give a special shout out to the patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome. And uh, we really appreciate everything you guys do. So if you want to join in some of the behind the scenes, head on over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. And we'd love to have you in our little secret club over there. Jason looks frozen. I'm still here. Okay. All right. It's that food coma. It's the food coma. It was, it was a lot of food coma going on tonight. Uh, Robert and I are drinking coffee at 945 at night because we ate a lot of of barbecue. I I, I don't want to call it barbecue, Robert, because I know it's you're not a, barbecue. a Texan. It's, it's I don't want, well, it's Korean barbecue. Do you have the meat sweats? That's the real question. Not yet. I, I cranked the AC down really low, so <laughs> I think we'll avoid the meat sweats, but I'm, I'm there. I definitely am... Looking very much forward to putting on elastic, elastic banded <laughs> pants later nice. uh, after the show. It was delightful. Hey, hey best brisket, best brisket outside of Texas, right, Robert? Ooh. Oh, okay. Ooh. That that might be fair. Uh, the uh, there's really good brisket that comes out of the Caribbean where barbecue originated, but uh, uh, Korean barbecue is really really good, as I learned tonight. Nice. Yes. So it's a throwdown. Nice. All right. So let's see tonight's topic. We are going to talk about death, rebirth and Freemasonry. So we've got a plethora of topics to talk about tonight. So um, without further ado, you know, in case you haven't noticed, we, we like our skulls. We have a lot of skulls in Masonry in case you didn't know that. Uh, if you're not a Mason, it's not creepy. Yes. There are, are there some over here? Are there some that maybe though? Nope, don't see any at all. Zero, zero skulls. No. <laughs> zero no. skulls. In there. Yes. Yes. Uh, we like skulls. 
we like skulls because not because it's cool and goth and you know it, it's the cool thing to do and it's a it's a fun halloween thing um despite what many in masonic leadership say <laughs> what are you drinking out of there joe oh, that's, <laughs> that's a skull shaped coffee mug okay got a it skull shaped mug <clears throat> Um, but there's a deeper meaning behind all of that. And so, you know, we, we've covered Memento Mori on the show, but we might go deeper into that tonight. Um, we've also, uh, you know, just covered basically, you know, what it, what it means to go through initiatic processes. But specifically, we want to dive deep into where does death fit in to the Masonic experience, um, what its, its symbolism in is, and you're basically, you know, basically how do we apply those lessons to our daily life and our daily practices and our daily philosophy, right? So I'll hand it over uh, to Joe and Handsome Robert. Handsome Robert. Handsome Robert. Quite to, handsome. To yeah. actually uh, kick off any any one facet of death in particular that you wanted to start with. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Go for it. All right. So rock, paper, scissors. Rochambeau. Um, I hate that name. I always call it rock, paper, scissors, but um, I digress. Um, yeah. So Masons, uh, at least some Masons are, are fixated with the concept of death when it comes to Masonry. A large majority of them, uh, like you said, think it's weird and goth and stuff like that, but I'm here to kind of uh, give you a spoiler alert. If any of you have been through the three degrees of Masonry, one of the core themes is, is death. Um, and the, the understanding that death is a necessary part for you to move on to the next thing. And, and what we'll talk about tonight, and I know Robert has amazing insights on is what exactly is it that needs to die? Um, because we're, you're making a face like you do have insights. You have great insights. Okay. We're going to hear those insights. Um, I can <laughs> no see your pressure. face on the camera. Um, uh, no pressure. Um, but there is a requirement that, that there needs to be death and, and our Masonic initiation really teaches that lesson. And sometimes, unfortunately it's glossed over um, or it's uh, replaced with uh, things like <laughs> one day clashes and uh, where candidates don't get to experience that necessary part of the Masonic initiation, which, which dying is an absolute necessary component of, um, and you have to go through that in an experiential way. But um, off my soapbox. So, yeah, experiencing death is important to Masonic initiation. Robert, do you agree or disagree? Uh, I absolutely do agree. Uh, I, I think a, a certain sense of the rule of contradictions and the truth in contradictions comes into play when thinking about death in Masonry uh, in a lot of ways. But uh, for one, I, I would argue that Masonry is intended to, to bring a man to uh, confronting accepting and overcoming death all at the same time and, and our mortality accepting it and and overcoming it uh, or even transcending it would probably be a better word uh, but i think there's two very loud voices in american masonry right now uh, one that is very anti-death symbolism anti-skulls anti-confronting mortality uh, let's put all that stuff away it looks cult or whatever right uh, and then the other side is, uh, you've already alluded to right there at the, the very beginning of the intro, uh, this group that kind of uh, almost leans into it as it, with a punk rock or, or goth vibe of, oh, this is cool, and uh, which, which, you know, personally, that's okay, but that's not what masonry is intending to do uh, right. with death or skulls. And I, I think it actually risks uh, the same sort of uh, loss and meaning of the symbolism uh, that the opponents would. So uh, uh, two different kinds of fallacies with the same unfortunate result. I, I think he said the most important thing I heard, because I'm not included in this punk rock thing, and please don't look at the 24 skulls I have in my office <laughs> as a judgment by Robert, which we'll talk about after the show. But... <laughs> Um, I will say the most, the, the most poignant thing that I caught from what he said was accepting mortality. And I think that is such an overlooked component in most initiations. And that's really the crux and the important aspect of what you need to learn. And we gloss over it and we, we, we lately have sucked at doing it, you know, um, really impressing that lesson that 
there is a finite nature to your life here on this earth. And we really gloss over that, that the impact that that has and how it should carry us forward. And I think, you know, the symbolism of death is, should be used as really a stark reminder that, Hey, all this is coming to an end at some point. And, you know, what is your life worth before and what will your life be worth after? We don't talk about it anymore. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause like, um, one thing that, comes to mind recently is i did see like an average life expectancy chart right of you know through through the ages right so we're living the longest nail on average uh, than we have pretty much ever in history but if you look back even just as as early as you know the civil war era like we were we're only living till the an average age of 40 obviously people live a lot longer and the mortality numbers are skewed because they count infant mortality right because they just didn't have the cleanliness and sterilization right so Consider all that, but still, you know, 40 was, was kind of the, the middle of the road was kind of the average life expectancy. So, uh, yeah, I, I see, I see kind of Joe kind of squirming in his seat there. Like crap. (laughs) I'm on borrowed time. I'm on the the other end of that bell curve, you know, I'm (laughs) way far. I'm just, uh, (laughs) just breaking expectations by living. Right. And so what the way I see that in conjunction with what you just said is that we, we have a reason we have to have death in our face in order to live. seems very paradoxical, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, when we were living back in the eight, 18, mid 1800s, you know, death was a common thing. It was very, I mean, in fact, it wasn't even hidden like it is today where death in modern times is very sterile it's handled at a hospital it's not you don't die at home very much anymore right? as at least in a common practice uh, unless it's specifically requested so so death is is always now outside of even the family view where it was not that way like death was was a common thing it was in your face it was um it was it was something that was ever present. And so that, that gave us a reason to, to focus on what it all means, right? What is this whole thing about? Like, what is existence when you get into those real deep philosophical experiences, Joe? Well, you just, you just, that basically we can just end the show right now, right? That's, that's the whole purpose of it is, (laughs) is that the, one of the major purposes of Freemasonry is um, you know, and we'll talk about all the other stuff, the fraternalism, the charity. Oh, those are all wonderful things. But in order to be truly living and extolling those virtues, you have to have that, that, that you have to have overcome your own mortality. Right. And it sounds weird to say that, right? Like, you know, we, we live in mortal bodies and at some point we're going to kick the bucket. Apparently I'm over the bell curve, right? Because, uh, you know, our life expectancies have gotten so much more awesome, uh, than they were 200 years ago. But, um, Modern man does not confront his mortality the way that we did back in the day. Um, so, you know, our schools like this that teach us how to walk through death, you know, and, and we're not talking in an allegorical way, right? We're talking about really confronting the specter of death. Um, cause we don't do this in our, you know, postmodern technological super medical, uh, age that we live in, we don't confront death the way that people did long ago. And, and it's really a necessary component to uh, casting off old, the old crappy ways of doing things, you know, and, and moving towards something better. And out of that better comes being a more charitable person, being a more, uh, a person, uh, much more devoted to brotherhood where it actually means something. And it's not just something on a dues card. Um, but I'm rambling Robert. Uh, so, uh, I, I like where you're going with it. Uh, two things that were mentioned, uh, the way death was handled in the 1800s, uh, you know, it wasn't hidden away is what you said. It wasn't hidden away in the 1800s the way it is now. Uh, and it, it not only wasn't hidden away, it, it was an art form. Death was an art. It, it was known as the Vanitas tradition that really came into a kind of a peak during the Victorian era uh, with skulls, flowers, salamanders, a few... Um, commonly paired motifs being displayed together. And when I talk about death or, or skull symbolism for lodges, uh, we start off with a video about that Vanitas tradition to try to help guys 
reconfigure the way they're looking at death out of this postmodern uh, perspective that, that Joe was just describing. Uh, so I think that's really important uh, when we're looking at it from a Masonic perspective and trying to understand what death and skulls and uh, mortality meant to the Masons who came before us uh, and, and potentially what we might be able to bring back uh, to society through Masonry by understanding something about death instead of hiding it away. Uh, the other thing uh, you brought up was uh, uh, that we don't die at home anymore. Uh, I can tell you my Masonic journey truly began when my great-grandmother died in my arms at home. Uh, and uh, I inherited a lot of my great-grandparents' stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, Bless her heart, she was my mother figure growing up. And uh, uh, the, she was very concerned with making sure that I had her... Uh, uh, properly dressed when they came to get her, uh, of all the things to be concerned with. Uh, but I inherited a lot of their stuff after she passed, and that included bedroom furniture uh, and a little rotating drawer that had Masonic coins and a certificate and a Scottish Rite patent hiding in the little drawer. Uh, and that's so, so my Masonic journey, personally, is why it's an important topic to me, literally began with the death at home wow. uh, of a Masonic wow. widow, uh, for, for that matter. Uh, but 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 up until the 1900s, when the uh, funeral home business and and that sort of stuff really came into uh, uh, full maturity, Masonic lodges, among many other things, really were something like a funeral home service, especially uh, across the American West, where you know these days we're quite familiar if you're an active Mason uh, with Masonic graveside services. Uh, but but back then, it was expected that you would uh, get to your lodge, you would open lodge. Uh, the brethren would sometimes guard over the, the deceased brother's body for multiple days at their home. Uh, the body would sometimes be displayed at the lodge uh, after transporting it uh, from the home. Uh, there would be an anti-burial service that was usually, uh, there was a ritual in place for how it was supposed to be done. Uh, singing and uh, a celebration of the, the brother's life as well as meditation upon mortality uh, before then proceeding uh, literally in, in procession uh, to the, the grave side uh, to then do the funeral service that has now become all we do if we do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so we even in masonry, we've really kind of hidden away this tradition that used to be very rich and used to be very important again across the American West where that might be the only thing a man got when he died uh, in, in a, on the frontier. Wow. I mean, there's, that's fascinating with the, the set of traditions uh, that were held back then that, again, you don't, you don't see very commonplace today. How about you, Jason? What do you think? Um, broad question. Uh, so wholeheartedly agree with most of what I've heard tonight. Um, Outside of what Joe said, some of it was okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, no, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tolerate you tonight only because I'm really full and bloated, and we ate a lot of beef together. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, we did. That was great. A little bit of pork too. Oh, hey, there's another Robert. Oh, so when it, I I have to agree with the idea that you know we've gotten comments on the show like hey. What's up with all the skulls? You know, why why do you do that like weird, creepy stuff? And uh, to me, very much, it is a an ever present reminder that I don't know how much time I'm going to have left. I don't know what's going to happen once my time is up, and I transition out of this particular existence. And so that reminds me that, you know, at all times I need to try to treat others the best that I can. And because, you know, my, my personal spirituality really revolves around, you know, treating others the best that you can and, and helping others. And so to, to me, this is an admonishment of the seriousness of, of that charge and that duty. 
You can start anytime, Jason. Just can let you know that nothing's holding I, you back. Present Any, if you want to start, company excluded. Uh, we're yes, waiting. Thanks, so. John. No one likes you. So I don't know why we put up with you. I'll, I'll see myself. You were adopted. <laughs> he runs the. Wow, very sassy tonight. But I, I think that I think that to, to Jason's point. Um, Hi, no kettle. I'm pot. Yes. Uh, to to Jason's point, it's it's you know he he said it best when it's it's they're meant to be stark. I reminders usually do. Are, yes, take a time out. Five seconds. Um, <laughs> you know, it really is a stark reminder, and I think we as as a modern society, um, and and some of you watching tonight may get offended by what I say, but wow, did you just boot him? Oh, I love you. <laughs> oh, so. I think we as a modern society, we don't confront death for a lot of the reasons that we talked about. And I'm sorry to say, boys and girls, a lot of people are still afraid of death at many points in their life, right? Um, you know, whether they're young, whether they're old, there is a very common fear about death and dying. And um, I think that the symbols that we use in masonry, they're, they're twofold, right? One of them is to teach us that you have to confront death, you know, whether it's a spiritual death or an allegorical death, um, eventually you'll get to a physical death. Nobody can avoid that. Right. But if you can at least understand the concept of overcoming that fear of death, it goes to what Jason said. Some of those more awesome parts about your nature will start to come through naturally because you stop caring about the trivial and the banal and the really boring bits of your life. Um, so it, it's kind of, mandatory that we all get there so, at some so point. i'm gonna ask a, a leading question then go ahead jason finish your thought so i'm probably going the same place you are well, but well so again where where i'm going just to help move the the conversation the shifting the needle is so what's so special about death right if it's this this milestone that we're all going to hit sometime what's there to what's there to look forward to what's there to um to, to really gain from getting to that milestone, right? So it, if you really step back and look at it abstractly, right, that there are religious traditions, right, that there is hope for something beyond. And we've talked about some of the dogma that comes with Freemasonry, where uh, most Freemasonry in the United States, at least, has the dogma of hope of immortality. And so that doesn't mean that death necessarily is the end. It is an end, but also a continuance or a beginning of something else. And again, every religion has maybe some kind of flavor of a beyond uh, if, if you believe in the immortality of the soul. So then let's, let's pull a thread on that. Like, so what's so special about death then? So that is not where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> Just trying to move <laughs> along. But to, to tag on to what Joe said about, losing the fear of death and that associated with a complete change in your mindset and your goals. That, that, that's and That's exactly where I was going with it. Because why would you fear death? Right. If you thought that was the end, right. Or, or the opposite's true, right. Why would you not fear right. death? Because there's something else beyond it. It is not necessarily an end. So it, it ties together pretty nicely. So, I always look for empirical data. Um, that's why I'm big into historical criticism of the Old and New Testament, because it's like, cool, that's one source. Now, what do we have that corroborates it? So the question is, okay, what what empirical data do we have on death? Because not many people have come back. We to can't do surveys. Tell, yeah, yeah, exactly. We, not too many come <laughs> yeah. people come back, except they do. What? And research that I have been diving into for spoilers, uh, a paper in my next Masonic presentation deals with the concept of near-death experiences. Dun, dun, and so um, scientists since the 1970s have been empirically studying patients who undergo cardiac arrest and brain death just to come back. And... There's empirical evidence that for a certain percentage, I don't have the 
the stats off the top of my head, but for a certain, you know, non-trivial percentage of patients that experience a near-death um, experience and come back, they no longer fear death, and their outlook wow. and worldview is turned completely upside down to the point where they quit their, you know, jobs and businesses and transfer full-time into nonprofits and other places where they can devote their entire lives to helping others. And that's consistent across like religious types and geography and stuff like that. Is that true? Yeah. Religion um, has no statistically significant impact on the type of experience you have or the thematic elements that you experience it only colors your perception of what you actually see so uh christians will often be you know see jesus or you may have someone who is a buddhist uh who sees the buddha um but the thematic elements, uh, what those visions say, the experiences gained through that, you know, going toward a light, seeing a barrier that you can't cross, um, a being clothed in light, uh, those are thematic recurring elements that are statistically significant over uh, a portion of uh, NDEs regardless again of the strength of your faith or the form in which your faith takes ndes meaning near-death experience right yes mm-hmm. yes i'm an acronym guy if what's yeah, what's like fascinating that. about the whole idea of the nde you know is that for years people who have uh, really looked into this and what we're doing is we say uh like for instance the new agers right new agers got like all this attention shirley mclean and crystals and holistic stuff you know that's what my my mom is still like that and um they had this this great um uprising you know you know uh, 60s 70s and even into the 80s big time um, and then what happens is like we start to devote more time to the science, the empirical science and what things show. And slowly, like these kinds of concepts, new age concepts of a, of a true universal life after or whatever, right? Uh, they get hokey. And people start going, oh, I saw the light. I saw the light. Just go to light. It's, it's, you know, it's really cliche today uh, to, to think about this stuff. But as Jason points out, it, we have the data to point this stuff out that uh, based on your geographic location and religion, the experience kind of contours itself for you. Now, what's interesting about that is we've always seen like these sci-fi movies or whatever, where like the alien uh, basically shows up in front of somebody and goes, I took the form that was comfortable for you. Like, so in that same way, this is what's happening. But here's the crazy part is that we've always said, oh, this is likely just the dying of the brain. This is this whole vision is like the last bit of chemicals rushing from the brain and closing out the visual cortex systems and, and all these things and you're hearing. And this is why you see the light and all of these things. And you would read this and go, man, that sucks. I really thought we but had science. Something. But science but says science. No. Yes. <laughs> No, your brain is already dead, has already ceased all known electrical activity, and yet people come back and say, I separated from my body, I was up on the ceiling watching what the surgeon was doing trying to resuscitate me. Totally. And there is no... We have... Scientific explanation for why that is, be it entheogenic substances, DMT, or like the last vestiges of brain activity. I, too, have watched Doctor Strange. (laughs) Well, what's what's totally wild about the whole topic, though, is is that this whole like uh, uh, out of body experiences and things, uh, there's evidence to suggest that some people are more 
susceptible to having those experiences than others, right? And just whether they're the type of people who grew up or more open or more accepting, there's the whole thing that like, if you're open to a topic, you're more apt to like, be open to it happening and right. and, and feeling it and being in the moment. Right. So uh, like my mom used to practice like out of body meditations and things. And growing up, I used to do those too. And so when I started getting into meditation and stuff after Freemasonry, I talked to one of my mentors, Tom Beaver, and he was like, oh, you can already do this. And I was like, well, kind of, I do these two couple things. And it's just a really fascinating thing that I think most of the world probably looks at, especially in the West. And they go, you're crazy. There's just no way you're having an out-of-body experience. But for the people who have had them, who've had near-death experiences, um, I think, you know, there, there's just nothing that they can compare to it. Um I've often brought this book up, The Master's Lectures. This is, a, I think, a second printing. Um, and this book was printed by anonymously by various masters of Evans Lodge, number 524 in Evanston, Illinois. Um, and uh, it's a fantastic book. And it's set up in such a way that each month, it's like 12 chapters. Each month is a theme. And you could really just go through this book your whole year as a worshipful master and discuss the topics in here and assign readings. In fact, we've done this. And the, one of the first uh, months that we were in was December because we chartered in November and December's uh, topic was immortality. And what I found absolutely amazing with the writers of a text like this, uh, right here in the Chicagoland area, probably the same kind of grumpy past masters that we all think are you know, not spiritual, not um, of the same mindset, right? They have written some of the most really engaging and interesting things, you know, on, on topics of immortality. Um, if I may read just like the last, one of the last paragraphs in here says, to fortify and as far as possible to impart this hope, right? So life after death was the great aim of ancient wisdom, whether expressed in forms of poetry or philosophy, as it was of the mysteries and as it is of Freemasonry. So they're making some bold statements, you know, uh, but knowing that we shall live forever and that the infinite God loves all of us, we can look on all the evils of the world and see that it is only the hour before sunrise and that the light is coming, and so we also, even we, may light a little taper to illuminate the darkness while it lasts and help until the day spring comes. And so this whole thing, like eternal morning, it's just, a, we read about all of these concepts in world religions, and then you get like new ageism things that come in, and then you have guys in Freemasonry who talk about this stuff, and we connect it to the mysteries. And yet, it's like, okay, death and Freemasonry, we're all like, hey, yeah, uh, the skull reminds us we're going to die. We get it all. We got to get it all done. But more than that, it's like, yeah, get it all done to help the people who are here right now. But also, you don't even fear it anymore because you've already been put through the ringer, right? And. Well I'm just curious on Joe. I want to hear about Joe and, and the mysteries and, and death. I, uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a big one. So no, you, you hit it, you hit it right on the head. Um, when you said that, that we've confronted it and it's there. And I think that, I think there's two schools of thought and I would love to hear what Robert has to say on this. Um, there's two schools of thought when it comes to death in masonry. There's the one train of thought that the American Judeo-Christian mindset has where, you know, the, the hope and immortality aspect of it, right? It's like, let's do the good things now because we are hoping for a, that, that, that sunrise that comes tomorrow. But then there's that other school of thought and they don't have to be separate. They can be one in the same, um, that we go through a process of allegorical death 
to get rid of those rough spots in our nature so that those more divine aspects can come through today, not tomorrow, not when we're in a cloud somewhere, but, mm -hmm. but today and right now. So there's two different, like I said, I, I look at it as two different viewpoints. Um, ideally, you'd like to do both, but we're only here for a certain amount of time. Roberto? Yeah, uh, I'm keen on uh, especially that last bit of ideally you're trying to do both at the same time. Again, getting uh, re returning to what I said before about the truth and contradictions being key for understanding mm -hmm. death and, and that kind of symbolism in masonry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the oft-quoted uh, uh, line uh, that a, a good mason must be prepared to plant the seeds for trees under whose shade he'll never sit. Uh, so some amount of this is about uh, understanding we're going to die and that if we do good things to our neighbors and uh, act upon the square now, uh, that there will be long lasting benefits, benefits uh, to society and to, to our fellow man that uh, outlast our uh, current lives, uh, which while we have to uh, accept that we're going to die and not get to enjoy those ourselves also means in a sense we will be transcending that death uh through the fruits of our our labors uh so the 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 way i like to think about that quote is tacking on an extra while i may not get to sit in in the shade of that tree i will if i work towards perfection uh, in a sense, become the light uh, that is is uh, coming onto that tree and, and, and causing the shade in the first place. Uh, so it's it's both. Uh, we're we're doing it for the now and for the, and, and for the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, masonry, we say, uh, breaks down uh, the kinds of barriers that would keep people uh, perpetually apart. I think that means uh, physical distance. I also think it means temporal distance. And in mm -hmm. uh, death, if we are able to do the impossible of accepting and transcending it, then we're effectively transcending the two main ways in which we experience reality uh, as human beings, those being uh, physical distance and, and time. Uh, if, if we can overcome uh, physical distance and we can overcome time, we're now time traveling, uh, uh, which is something I actually believe we do in Freemasonry. And uh, we're also physically uh, breaking down distances. Like right now. Yep. Hello. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. I got to hear more about this Freemasonic free time travel. Time traveling. I got to I got to hear this. So so tell me your take. Okay. Uh uh, I don't know if uh, we've got enough time for my whole take on it, but for but but let's let me throw out some things that we're all very familiar with. Okay, so uh, from generation to generation, we're very familiar with that concept and talking about masonry in that way. That there's that there is this unbroken uh, in in traditional uh, high church Christianity. Uh, there's a notion of like laying on the hands, right, and mm -hmm. uh, apostolic succession. Well, there's a similar notion in masonry, a Masonic succession, if you will, of of this unbroken chain of light and knowledge that we pass from generation to generation. We also refer to time immemorial uh, and uh, how we're, we're carrying forth and, and working with something from time immemorial. Uh, so I think there's a lot of phrasing and a lot of uh, more or less uh, uh, touchstones in our ritual and in our traditions that suggest we're doing something to break past the barriers of time itself. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and then there's also, there's also some casual ways that we often refer to it and, and I think don't actually think about, uh, but one of the most common things you hear in masonry that guys are excited about or, or, or gives them passion for masonry is, uh, even though it's changed a lot, uh, depending on where you are, more or less, the notion that, oh, uh, well, last night I knelt where Hiram knelt or... Right. I took the obligation George Washington took. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that I, up. I believe that if we effectively perform ritual, uh, Masonic ritual, uh, we're not just doing the same thing that, say, uh, Desigulier was doing 300 years ago. We're doing it with him. Uh, you could say we're doing it with him right now or we're doing it with him then, but if we are breaking time, 
it's not now or then because there's no such thing as that placement in time anymore. Mm. Uh, So there's this, the way I see it, a communion of Masons uh, across time and space that we're all performing Masonry simultaneously. I love it. Uh, And if we die, uh, and and, and, uh, I think it was RJ said most world Wait, even the Clandies? (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I most world religions have some kind of concept of uh, uh of this immortality or or uh, what happens after death and these different versions of it but there's a return to eternity and and there's a return to timelessness which is one of the uh classical divine names of god by by pseudo dionysius uh uh if we're doing that we are, when we die, becoming immortal or immortality itself. Uh, so it, it's less the way we talk about it, having a soul that's immortal, and more that our soul returns to being immortality, and we're all one. Uh, and Freemasonry over and over and over again points to that, uh, even mathematically with geometry and uh, the Tetractus and that kind of stuff. Uh, the, these concepts that are found universally—that's—that's uh, that's what we're reconnecting with when we transcend death. I love it. Uh, see, when you were talking, you reminded me one thing that jumped out at me. Uh, reading Chris Hodap's Solomon's Builders, he wrote this book in preparation for. Uh, Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol about all the the cool Masonic stuff in Washington D.C. So we tried to get ahead of it uh, before all the book delays. Talking about what's mas- what is actually truly Masonic in Washington D.C., but. In true Hodap style, he's an excellent, you know, um, uh, author to to spin to spin a, a story, and he begins the very first chapter uh, as you were watching George Washington go through his Masonic initiation, and he ends the first chapter by saying, "Look, we don't know exactly what ritual George Washington went through, but you know, we have enough exposés of that time frame, and we have enough." Uh, knowledge that we could say even today George Washington would be familiar with the way it's practiced today if you have good you know good ritualists so I, I love that point because you can again you could either rewind to uh, G-Dub's time frame or fast forward him into here and this tradition has kept uh, the fraternity across temporal boundaries I think that's awesome so thank you for sharing well that. Yeah, to to your point, just to chime in, because I, I want to hear more about time traveling, because um, it's awesome. Uh, you you said something really poignant, and I think this is where, where you know, I'm a big ancient mysteries guy. Everybody knows that, right? Um, but I never come out and say that Freemasonry is a direct descendant of the ancient mysteries. But you said a really interesting word that I think needs to be pointed out, which is tradition. Right. So it doesn't really exactly matter what George Washington's ritual was or, you know, how Desaguliers became a Mason or what they practiced in Eleusis or what they practiced in, in Gnosis. You know, it, the trappings of the story don't matter. It's the thematic lessons that you learn. And those, for the most part, as far as we know, are pretty damn similar. You know, there is a story, whether it's the story of, you know, Persephone and Demeter, um, it's, it's about death. It's about renewal. It's about the lesson that you learn that it's cyclical and there are really important life truths that need to be learned. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the ritual is, as long as it's, it's holding on to those themes, then, then it answers that question for every seeker, regardless of what age they live in. Similar to the common thematic elements in Jungian archetypes, near death experiences, world religions humans operate on a certain wavelength with common thematic elements regardless of who you are regardless of your religion and where you came from and where you exist and i find that fascinating i really do so again whether it's you know similar experiences on dmt similar experiences with nd with non-death um experiences or near near death what did i say non-death near death experiences this is a non-death experience also called living got it yes yes Um, we do that so another another topic i find interesting too is the parallels between freemasonry and stoicism which stoicism actually has a lot of 
concepts of how to handle grief, how to handle death. And, um, you know, if you're not familiar with, I mean, with, if you're at kind of at a surface level reading of, of Marcus Adrelius and a couple others, you would think it's, well, it's kind of cold. Uh, it's kind of about, you know, very surface level. It's very about, it's about detaching from emotions, but, but the opposite's actually true, right? It's understanding we as humans have emotions. It's how we react and how we handle those, um, that go with that. So they obviously, one of the largest emotions that human beings have is grief and how do they handle uh, death, uh, whether it be their own or whether it be uh, the death of others. And so you'll see common themes in Stoic writings like, you know, um, imagine again, one, one that hit me just in the face the other day because I have five young kids was about, you know, imagine that every night your child was going to die and would not wake up in the morning. And that just slapped me in the face when I read that because, you know, it's saying like, basically don't, don't try to focus on the negative aspect, focus on what have, what are you doing right now to overemphasize? Like if this were their last day on earth, how would you make that? How would you feel complete? How would you feel like you've contributed to their well-being, your well-being, etc.? Right. Uh, left things, you know, you know, a lot of regret that people have in, in death in general, right. Is are things unsaid things undone, uh, feelings, you know, you know, not shared. And so the stoic philosophy says, you know, don't wait, right. <laughs> Just treat every day as if, as if this was going to be your last and it'll make it a lot easier on you because it, you'll get it all out. You'll get everything out. There won't be any regrets if you truly hold it as, um, you know, a, a philosophy of oh golly damn so he totally weird. elmer fudded that yes oh, he did yeah total he's had a couple of them tonight so i'm trying to get John. philosophical here guys so um so, and there's other don't you, know, you mean philosophical marriage <laughs> marriage marriage brings us together today today I love to love. Dude, we're making a doctor's appointment for you. This is like two weeks in a row. You like, you're not speaking well. Like, we, we need to make I, you an appointment with a neurologist <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> remember when John had a stroke on air? Remember that? That was great. <laughs> was that why you spit out your beer earlier? Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. But wow. back to seriousness, though, I think that everything that John said outside of his Elmer Fudd moments was spot on and just just on target. And I think that I think the point that we're all trying to make is is and I, I'm glad that you brought the, the stoicism aspect to it, because. Again, we in our modern I hate calling us a fraternity, right? I despise that word um, because I don't think we are. Um, but in, in what modern Freemasonry is today, I think we really gloss over the fact that there is such an importance surrounding us understanding and, and like Jason said, overcoming death. Whether it's at first, again, our spiritual death or an allegorical death or, or dying to the way that we don't want to be anymore. Right. Um, you know, we have that famous, famous bumper sticker of we take good men and make them better that everybody loves to say, well, how do we do that? Through death. You know, it's by through that's exactly right it's through death right through through having that old self of yours die so that that new person uh like kind of like what robert was saying and what jason was saying that new person that 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 part of divinity inside of us gets to reach out and do good things while they're still here on this earth and that's the point like joining the shrine but no when you when you when you talk about the ideas (laughs) when you talk about this death we are so so just stuck on the idea of symbolic death um that ritual that is done so poorly is there a case to say that in order for the ritual to be taken in the way it truly was written to be and to accomplish whatever that goal is let's just pretend it is to make you come away the same as you know you would have after the mysteries right with a a new outlook on life a non-fear of death to be industrious and a productive individual all of these things because 
you've already faced it. Is it fair to say that unless we scare the crap out of a candidate for real, we're not doing the job? So here's here's something. Um, I don't think scaring the crap or abusing the candidate has, has anything to do with it. I think it's more the connection that the candidate has with the brothers in the room and realizing that your best friends just buried you. Like the connection that you have with those brethren who signed your petition. Um, the fact that they essentially staged a funeral for you. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because most of these initiatic traditions need to have an event that upsets the status quo, right? So it's, there's something that needs to be turned upside down, something that needs, and I'm not saying, I'm not talking about hazing. Okay. Let's make that perfectly clear. I'm not talking about the, the actual art of physically harming someone or anything like that. Like, but right. if there is something that can bring someone to a different plane of consciousness, a different mindset than where they came from, Joe, don't start. Then there, there, there has to be a difference that comes out on the other side. So that's, so I think that there's that there's that piece and exactly what you were just talking about, Jason. Then the realization that, holy smokes, this this order that we're in, not this fraternity per se, has a shared common experience of this. And these people that I I trust, that I like, that I that have, uh, they're all of one mind, have now you know laid me to rest. That's fascinating. You you just well, it's that. that You just brought it home, right? It's it's that common experience, and and I agree with Jason. I, I don't think you need to scare the crap out of a candidate, right? That's not the the point, and you don't have to attack the concept of death from a place of of terror, right? Terror and fear are two different things, right? Like, you know, I go to bed every night and say I'm afraid to die, right? Am I going to wake up tomorrow morning? Um, you know, it's different than horror movie, you know, uh, horror. Um, but I think you hit it on the head with, um, I am sharing a common experience and going back to what Robert said of all these people through the millennia that have done this before and they came away if done properly to Robert's point um, taught me a lesson about myself and what I need to keep and what I need to throw away. Robert. Yeah. I'm going uh, to give Robert here the, the final, um, yes, final, final word. word before we get to our final thoughts and our, our question of the night. So uh, we'll get as far as the regular part of the presentation go over to Robert William Marshall. Uh, I think that was beautifully put by Joe. Um, and uh, I forgot where I was going to go with it now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that the notion of, of terror or fear or, or must we scare the crap out of them as RJ put it uh, to have the intended effect. I think, I think that can have the intended effect, right? So I wouldn't outright uh, condemn the concept. Uh, but I, I think what I would say to try to uh, more precisely describe it is, is if they're not uncomfortable during the process, then we've done something wrong or they haven't allowed something to happen within themselves. Uh, as Joe said, to learn something or, 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 confront something about the self uh, specifically because uh, the self is an important part of this. It, the self is dying and the self is also becoming more apparent to us at the same time. So it's, it's going away and it's coming to the forefront. Uh, and uh, if that's not happening, then we have done something wrong. It should be uncomfortable to confront everything, you know, everything you've learned, everything you've been taught, your worldview and to see it as uh, perhaps only being allegory, uh, an allegory of understanding reality. And, and, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave is one of the oldest examples of that. You've got the guys chained down in the cave, 
all they've ever known because they're chained is the shadows on the wall. And you've got the second tier guys with the puppets or the models uh, casting the shadows. Uh, but, but, but one day, one of the guys that's chained and uh, his whole reality being the shadows of cows or animals or trees or whatever it is, you couldn't convince him that those aren't trees. That, that's all he's ever seen, those shadows of tree-shaped models. But he gets unchained. He gets dragged out of the cave, uh, probably has to be dragged out because he's being torn away from the only perspective of reality he's ever had. He's cast out of the cave. He's blinded by the sun, which would be blinding and painful until his eyes settle and he starts to actually see trees and actually see cows or deer or whatever. I'm, I'm from Texas, so cows are important. Uh, and so for the first time, he's seeing reality for what it is apart from his self or the self-centered uh, uh, perspective he's had on it, those shadows in the cave. Then... He goes back and he's put back into the cave. He's chained back up with the other guys and he starts trying to tell them, hey, uh, back there, there's this opening and this really bright light and there are actual trees. And what do you mean there are actual trees? There's actual trees right here. Uh, and, and I think that hurts. It's, it's painful to mm. go through that initial process of being dragged from your perspective and, and seeing reality for the first time. It should hurt, and it's scary. Uh, and uh, if you're going through certain portions of Masonic uh, initiations and you don't have some amount of fear, that's weird. Uh, uh, th there should be something like fear bubbling up in you. Uh, but uh, to, I think it was Jason's point, Ideally, you've established a brotherhood or a fraternity in the literal sense of the word uh, with the men in that room that helps allow you to push past that and make it out of the cave uh, and see reality more clearly and more broadly and more universally uh, for the first time. So that even if you do go back to the profane, as we sometimes call them, or the uninitiated, you're not going to be able to explain the mysteries of masonry to someone who hasn't been uh, through the degrees. Uh, but you do still have that fraternity or that brotherhood with the other people who have gone through that process. And you now have a new common language upon which to uh, discuss it and share a more meaningful uh, perspective on life and death, uh, because that's what's happening. Wow, Brother Marshall, uh, that was utterly fantastic. A great way to end. And segues into the final question that we have for tonight. So the final question for the rest of the hosts is, uh, would Freemasonry be the same or as effective without any symbolism or actions or themes around death? Would Freemasonry be the same or as effective without any symbols or actions or themes of death? Let's go to Jason for his thoughts. No. Great. Thank you for that <laughs> lively comment. The fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is that I think what my question is then what else is as powerful of a motivator? I like food. I, the, okay <laughs> but not as much yeah motivation not as much as death that's a great point thanks jason over to you robert would freemasonry be the same or as effective without any symbols or actions or themes of death i'm hard pressed to think of something that is of a nature that everybody has to go through uh, because it is uh, scary for people to not know where they're going to go next. If there is something, whether they have doubts in their faith, whatever the, the case is, it seems to be the, the, the one thing everybody has to go through. And, um, there's just no getting out of it. And I think with because of that singular fact, I mean, 
you know, nothing else is guaranteed. Uh, the old famous, the famous saying, right, is death and taxes. But honestly, death is the only guarantee you have. So it must be the only real way to uh, impart the the type of lesson that you should uh, give. Um, the, the type of lesson that you are called to learn, the, the type of lesson that sages from you know, thousands of years have been giving us a similar lesson um, in that we continue to exist. Science has told us we continue to exist. The law of thermodynamics arguably proves you continue to exist. Uh, all of these things. But there's only one way to teach it. It's almost like an unlearning process. Uh, to unlearn the fear of death that society or your culture has put into you. Um, but then again, the human body has developed ways to ensure the propagation of species. And in that, you are like, you have built in mechanisms to fear death so that you continue to live. So if you fear death, like biologically, is your body lying to you? There's all these things, but that fear is what builds it up. And I think it is absolutely necessary within any initiatic order that you face some concept related to your ultimate demise. Well, there you go. Thank you, Robert. Over to Joe and Robert. Yep. So, uh, awesome show. This was absolutely one of my favorites. Um, not just because Robert's here, but also because uh, um, John definitely needs a neurological exam. And so, we're going to get that looked into, my friend, uh, after the show. But um, so, to answer your question, no, absolutely not. I don't think it would be as impactful or as meaningful because we as human beings are constantly full of things, right? Our, our lives are full, our days are full, our brains are full of stuff. So the only way for something new to come into it is for some part of you to die or some part of you to shed it off, right? So um, if we want to do and be, be the change um, that we say we want to be, uh, some part of you has to stop existing to, to have room for new and better things to replace them. So I don't think as, as RJ said, there's not a better, more universal teaching tool than to have initiates or seekers confront death and learn from death and learn what parts of themselves they no longer need to, to be that better human being. Robert. Uh, I, I share the opinion that it would not be the same without uh, some sense of death and rebirth. Uh, we had the Scottish rite, the York rite, we've had the Egyptian rite, the adopted rite, rites, 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 rites. Uh, we also have the last rites, and, and that, that's the Masonic funeral services. Uh, it's something that uh, the Catholic Church took issue with in the 1700s. Uh, it's... I've seen it talked about, and, and I, I like seeing the Masonic Funeral Service talked about as our final degree in, in this life. Uh, uh, we, in a sense, get to cheat the system when we uh, go through the third degree of Masonry and we get to, to experience the sorts of things we've been talking about in this episode. Uh, and, uh, I think we're very fortunate for that because it does allow us to shift our perspective in a positive way, uh, that makes us better. It transforms us. It, it truly does. Uh, it has been said, uh, on many stages, Masonically or Shakespearean that, uh, death is that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. We did, uh, we, we, we came back, uh, in a sense whether it's allegorical or literal or whatever, I think uh, there's maybe no difference uh, between literal death or allegorical death from a certain perspective. Uh, so without that, I, I think we would be a very different thing altogether. Uh, it, it, it just wouldn't be the same. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brother Marshall, for joining us tonight. Um, this, has been, this has been great to hear some other 
fresh perspectives, especially from Joe Martinez's office. We, we always like to have an <laughs> alternating point of view. Um, so that way we're not, we're not limited to just what's located. There. Just Joe. Just Joe. Yeah. Thanks, Elmer. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Over to me. Final thoughts on that. Let's see. So I guess theoretically. Good night, everybody. Oh, gosh. I hate you guys. So theoretically, you could be influenced by the monomyth, right? By the the hero's journey. And it not have to result in necessarily a, a death orientation, a death connotation. It could be some sort of lower, which you push through and come out to the upper. Maybe that's worth discussing in another topic of TMR. Uh, so I'm trying to th- I'm trying to find an, a, a different viewpoint than saying obviously death is a, a key component to the Masonic experience, but but it is, but it but it is. So you're right, you're right. So that that's my stretch as far as uh, trying to go outside of the uh, the obviously answer. Freemason would be different, and yet we have Masons that don't absorb the impact of what the ritual is there to, you know, to share those virtues, right? We have, you know, um, again, loosely paraphrased from a, a Mark Twain quote that I love is, you know, you become a Mason twice, once when you're raised, and then again, when you find out why. And then the third time, John, when you buy the correct uh, number of gun raffle tickets. That is true. Yes, it's the correct number <laughs> is seven. Seven gun raffle tickets will get you to the ultimate level. Hundred. Somebody better tell Texas that it's only seven. <laughs> it's only seven. It's only seven. Uh, no. Seven but, per raffle. Per raffle. Yes, obviously. Yeah. So there you go. Um, death is a key component of any initiatic process, more especially this of ours. So with that, uh, I hope all of you live a nice, long, and healthy life, but also. Do not fear death, because it is the grand leveler that keeps us all equal and then gets us ready for the great beyond. With that, I want to thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. (laughs) Nice. Wow.